You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 44. Hello again, Metamorphs. This is Chris Lester, bidding you welcome from the new home of Metamorph Studios in Fitchburg, Wisconsin. As you can probably tell, I don't quite have the recording booth set up yet. You may also be able to tell that I'm getting over a cold. But I've got enough in place to record this week's intro and outro, and with the narration I recorded before leaving Montana, that's good enough for now. Over the coming weeks, I'll be working on getting this place up to spec as a proper recording space, so I can keep bringing you my fiction fresh off the writing desk. Now I'm happy to bring you the end of the Job Hunt Update segment. On March 14th, 2016, I started working at my new employer, and at the time this airs, I'll have just completed my first week of orientation and training. I still have lots of training to go before I'll be ready to start work, but I'm excited about the future and looking forward to joining my new team. My first paycheck from the new job will arrive on April 8th. Until then, my partner Mel and I will be living on my last unemployment check, which came in this week, and the generous contributions of you, my faithful listeners. A big thanks to everyone who's supporting us through the Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Your monthly donations make a huge difference in our quality of life, especially during this time of transition. If you're not yet a Patreon patron, consider making a pledge today. Even just a few dollars a month can really add up, and you'll get bonus stories, bonus artwork, and other cool stuff. Again, that's patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Today I'm bringing you the first part of Chapter 10 in my Metamore City novel, Things Unseen. This story started running back in Episode 24, so check back through the archives and catch up before listening to this week's episode. The following recap will contain spoilers. In Chapter 9, Metamore City police detectives Catherine Catane and David Silverleaf were brought in for questioning by agents of Imperial Intelligence. The Minister of Intelligence, Count Xavier Halloway, demanded an update on the search for his missing daughter, Mysteria. The Count revealed that he knew Misty had contacted Kate through a spell-encrypted letter, and he demanded to know what Misty had told her. Kate gave Halloway a carefully edited version of her encounter with Misty, explaining that Misty wanted Kate to craft illusion amulets for her and her friends, because the rift had warped their bodies into something inhuman. This explanation seemed to satisfy the Count, and he let the detectives go. Before Kate left, though, Count Halloway asked her about another aspect of the case. The wizard Artax, who had been investigating the death of the pilot who took Misty and her friends to the rift. Could the force that killed the man, whatever it was, also pose a threat to his daughter? Kate knew that she couldn't reveal the truth to Count Halloway that the pilot had been consumed from the inside out by some kind of magical symbiont, which Misty and the others had apparently encountered at the rift. One of these symbionts had spoken to Kate through Misty's friend, Hal Rains, pleading with her to help them get back to the rift. Kate evaded the Count's question, saying only that if Artax believed this power threatened the entire city, then that probably included his daughter. Halloway let them go without further questions, but not without further consequences. Kate and David went to Artax's magic shop, hoping to meet with the wizard and discuss the fate of the symbionts. But they arrived to find the shop closed and surrounded by Imperial agents. 
the agent in charge said that Artax was wanted for questioning on the authority of Count Xavier Halloway. Things Unseen A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 10 It took a team of Imperial Intelligence's best wizards over three hours to disable the wards around spells for you. Kate and David waited at the scene in case Hal turned up, but there was no sign of him. Not surprisingly, there was also no sign of Artax when they finally entered the shop. The staircase to the apartment had mysteriously disappeared, leaving only a blank wall in its place. Kate discreetly checked the spot to make sure it wasn't just an illusion. Sure enough, the wall was as solid as anything behind it, but she made no indication to the imps that there was anything out of place. David, for his part, seemed to be intently studying the plants that dotted the store in the back rooms. Not so much as a stray hair, one of the agents said, sounding disgusted. It's like the guy's a ghost. How did he know we were coming? Kate pointed at the sign on the wall above her, which read, Because I'm a wizard, that's how. The two agents glowered and shook their heads in disbelief. Notify all assets, the head agent told his men, once it was clear that the wizard was gone. Send out everything we have on his habits, appearance, and arcane signature. Pull his financial records and start tracking his spending. I want him found. Horace, Madison, seal this place up and put it on 24-hour surveillance. If so much as a housefly moves in here, I want you to know about it. Move, people. You're wasting your time, Kate said after the other agents had moved off. The ocelot man's ears flattened in irritation. Lieutenant Contain, if you don't have anything useful to contribute... I am trying to help you, Kate snapped. She didn't actually say the words, you idiot, but they were implied. Artax is a high master wizard, one of the strongest practitioners in the Empire. He's the best precog I've ever seen, and what he doesn't know about transmutation magic hasn't been discovered yet. He could be anywhere, look like anything or anyone. He'll know when you're coming, and he knows how to hide his arcane signature. You could search till the ninth hell freezes over. If he doesn't want to be found, you won't find him. The agent's eyes narrowed. Then what do you suggest? Use the phone like civilized people. Leave a message and let him know you want to speak to him. Then call off your dogs, so to speak. That made the catman's fur ruffle, but he said nothing. Artax is a reasonable man, Kate went on. Give him your respect and you'll get respect back from him. But using brute force like this is just a waste of time. The agent looked at her for a few seconds, then turned away. Thank you for your input, Detective. I'll inform Count Holloway of your recommendations. Yeah, you do that, Kate muttered, then walked out of the shop. David was waiting for her when she got back to the skimmer. He had a small Nocturna's lily sitting on the floorboards behind her seat. Don't tell me you're getting obsessed with those things, too, Kate said. Purely an academic interest, the elf said. There's something odd about the plant's aura. I'd like to compare it to the one Lady Holloway sent you. Knock yourself out. 
David quirked an eyebrow at her, then chuckled. Kay was puzzled for a moment, then realized what she'd said. She glared at him. And don't you start talking about us amusing humans and our curious idiomatic expressions. It's our language, we'll abuse it however we want. I wasn't going to say anything, David said innocently. Kate glowered at him a moment longer, then sighed. Damn it. I hope Hal got to Artax before he had to rabbit. I wish I had his mobile number so I could find out. Even if he has it with him, he'll probably have turned it off, David pointed out. They're too easy to track, and Artax needs to stay hidden. Ugh, good point. Kate ran her fingers through the hair at her temples, grabbed it in her clenched fists, and pulled. There goes the two best leads we had on this mess. If you've got any ideas, I'd love to hear them. David was silent a while, considering the question. Under the circumstances, he said at last, I think the best thing you can do is rest, replenish your mana, and then begin work on the disguise charms. We're limited in what we can accomplish until Count Halloway's daughter is returned to him. In the meantime, I can investigate these plants. They've shown up everywhere on this case, and that makes me more than a little suspicious. You think it's more than just a fad with the nobility? A status symbol? Oh, that's certainly part of it, David said. But why would Artax keep them, if that were all they were? Why would Lady Halloway have one in a guest bedroom at the Hedonist Temple? Why send one to you? Kate nodded thoughtfully. Come to think of it, I've never heard what they're used for. Though I think I caught Artax talking to one once. David looked at her sharply. Talking to it? Yeah, it was during that thing with Parker last year. Found him in front of a shelf of Nocturna's lilies, talking under his breath. And I thought I heard another voice talking back to him. She reached around behind her seat and pulled out the plant, looking at it closely. Hey, Mr. Plant, do you have any idea where Artax is? The plant said nothing. Maybe it prefers to be called Ms. Plant, David suggested. Lilies are hermaphrodites, you know. As if the androgynes didn't give us enough pronoun headaches, Kate grumbled. She put the plant back behind the seat again. Well, drop me off at my swoop and let's get back to my place, then. Hopefully that package of personal info Misty promised will be waiting for me. The package wasn't the only thing waiting for Kate when she returned to Serenity Arms, David following close behind her in the skimmer. Sylvia stood waiting at the entrance to the lift, her body language stiff and agitated. She looked simultaneously relieved and irritated when she caught sight of Kate. Finally, thank the mother you're here, she said. Miss Fallon needs to see you right away, room 101. Kate frowned. Normally, Ms. Fallon would meet with people in her office or in her parlor. Meeting in one of the street-level rooms was unusual, to say the least. Thanks, Sylvia. Any idea what's going on? Nothing you're going to hear about from me, Sylvia said. Wasn't there, didn't see anything, understand? Now Kate was worried. Got it. David? Right behind you, he said. And he was, even though Kate hadn't heard his approach. They entered the lift together and rode down to the ground floor. Room 101 was the first room on the first floor of the complex, a studio apartment that was little more than a hotel room with a kitchenette crammed into one corner. Kate had never known anyone who stayed there long term. 
Since it shared a wall with the kitchen and stood across the hall from the dining room, it was likely to be pretty noisy for much of the day. Even now, after eight o'clock, Kate could hear tenants and staffers lingering over dinner, along with the clatter of dishes being washed in the kitchen. She knocked on the door. Miss Fallon? The door opened immediately, revealing Damien, the incubus groundskeeper. He must have been standing right inside the door. He bowed his head to Kate in greeting, his expression grim, then pulled the door open just enough for her and David to enter. Miss Fallon sat on the edge of the room's only bed, hunched over and wringing her hands. Someone lay under the covers behind her. She looked up at Kate, and her almond eyes were distant and stricken. Kate. Kate thought she knew what she would find under the covers. She didn't want to see that. She approached the bed anyway. She put a comforting hand on Miss Fallon's shoulder, then reached out and drew back the sheets. The body was not burned, as she had expected, but it was emaciated to a degree that she had previously only seen in photographs of Telvari concentration camps. The blue skin was drawn tight over the skeleton, with very little muscle or other soft tissue in between. Halrains' expression was relaxed and peaceful, but the body was still something out of a nightmare. He came looking for you, Miss Fallon said, her voice subdued. He said that you had sent him to Artax, but when he got there... I know. Kate's voice sounded hollow, even in her own ears. We ran into the imps as they were trying to get in. She eyed the nightstand by the bed, where a used syringe sat with a little liquid left inside it. She pointed to it. What's in there? Miss Fallon averted her eyes. Morphine, she said. I keep some around for emergencies. This qualified. Kate looked down at the body again. How much did you give him? I let him choose the dose. Made sure he had enough to... Enough. Kate knelt beside Hal and put her fingers against his carotid artery. As she'd expected, there was no pulse. Eli, give him peace, she murmured. Yes, Miss Fallon agreed quietly. He... I think he was at peace at the end. I didn't leave him, Kate. From you, I wouldn't have expected anything else, Kate said, her voice low and even. Miss Fallon smiled a little at the compliment, but it didn't reach her eyes. This is going to make a lot of trouble for you, Isri. Nothing I can do about that. For the prophet's sake, I hope you weren't alone with him when he dosed himself. No, Miss Fallon said. Damien was here, and Nathaniel Sawyer from room 2308. Kate nodded to herself. That'll help. Dr. Sawyer served as an expert witness for the DA's office a few times. We'll need him to give a sworn statement. He said he would, Miss Fallon said. A pause. You'll need to call your people now, I expect. Yes. She turned to her partner, who was still standing near the entrance. David, will you make the call while I secure the scene? Of course, David said. His tone was gentle and compassionate. He murmured something to Miss Fallon in Elvish. 
The woman nodded gratefully and thanked him, and he left. Kate reached down and took Hal's hand in hers. It wasn't proper procedure, but at this point she didn't give a damn. The hand felt bony, limp, and very cold. For what it's worth, she said, you did the right thing. From what we gathered about the way Travers died, this was better. Kinder. I know, Miss Fallon whispered. Still, I... I wish there was something more I could have done. Yeah, Kate said, squeezing Hal's lifeless hand. Yeah. So do I. And that's where we'll stop it for this week, folks. What will Kate and David do now that they've lost Artax and Hal Reigns? And how will Janus Starson react when he finds out that Ms. Fallon was complicit in the death of a mortal? The mystery continues next week. Now it's time to head out to the range and check on my word herds. Here's your weekly writing report. Looking back at the month of February, I wrote 24,850 words over the course of 27 days, for an average word count of 920 words per day. I spent 36 hours writing over the course of February. Compared to January, my word count increased by 59%, and my writing time increased by 53%. February was my second most productive month so far. Only November had a higher word count. March, however, has not been a great month for writing. I didn't manage to get any words written during the week of the move, or during the first week of unpacking. I guess neither of those should be too surprising. This week was my first week of orientation at the new job, and I didn't end up writing much this week either, but I did at least start to get back on the horse. I wrote 2,106 words this week, over the course of 2.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 766 words per hour. I wrote on three out of seven days this week. It's not much, but it's a start. I'm continuing to work on my audio drama for Balticon, Rafa Kaliri and the Ghostly Bride. I still haven't gotten official word on whether Metamore City Live is going to happen this year, but if it does, I'll be ready for it, instead of cramming to finish the script at the last minute like I have every previous year before this. If they don't end up including a live panel for me this year, then I'll get some friends together and produce it for the Patreon campaign, and then release it on the podcast. I'll let you know more about my Balticon appearances as soon as I find out what they're going to be. And now, the feedback. Hey Chris, it's Sarah Testarossa. I've got some feedback for you for Things Unseen. I don't even know what chapters because I'm just giving random feedback on things that are sticking in my head from the last several chapters, I guess. Um, the scene with Miss Fallon and Kate was really cool. It's funny because even though I could tell she was doing something to Kate, I wasn't really worried about Kate because she just seemed so sincere about it. And 
the way that she was doing things in a sensual but not sexual way and kind of like in a sort of almost matronly way made it seem like Kate was a lot more safe. So I wasn't surprised that it was really just a thing to help Kate. And I thought that that was cool. That was a, uh, dare I say, sweet scene. Thank you. I enjoy writing Ms. Fallon for a number of reasons, but particularly because she has a big heart that is informed by a decidedly non-human worldview. I'm sure plenty of people would have a problem with her feeding on Kate without telling her, even when her intentions were good. But Miss Fallon just wouldn't see anything wrong with it. As far as she's concerned, it's a win-win. I also thought it was cool how David figured out that it was quite possible that whatever beings they encountered in the rift are not necessarily intending harm and that they may just be trying to survive and freaking out that they're slowly starving to death. I mean, that makes absolutely tons of logical sense. Doesn't mean it's necessarily the case, but hey, it's good to think of. And I like to see the times when David thinks of something that Kate doesn't because he has a way of kind of keeping her in check. I think I mentioned that earlier when they were talking to Halloway that he was kind of helping her simmer down and being the diplomatic one. So they do make a very good team. They do indeed. A lot of buddy cop stories put the more emotional, spontaneous, and hot-headed cop in the subordinate role, where he or she is constantly bucking against the authority of the calmer, wiser, more rational one. I thought it was more interesting to have the wiser one in the support role, where his quiet counsel helps to keep Kate from running too far off the rails. It gives them a bit of the same dynamic that made Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock such an effective team on Star Trek. I also thought that it was neat how Kate and Callie interacted. I was not expecting to see Callie coming into the story, but I was pleasantly surprised that she did. I really like Callie, just her kind of heart and her spunk and her attitude, along with her supernatural sense of luck, which I find pretty neat. It, it was cool to see how she and Kate interact. I always like to see different dynamics, and I mean, that's the whole thing for me. It's like, plot is great, but it needs to have interesting character interactions for me to really stay hooked. And um, Callie and Kate, I wonder, you know, if they were to become really close friends and stuff, what kind of misadventures they could get into besides just the swoop racing. I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's a pretty big one in itself. And I know that Kate is an officer of the law, so she's kind of got to do certain things by the books, or at least vaguely so. But I don't know. I like the idea of them kind of going on adventures together. All I can say is, wait for the lost and the least. Kate and Callie will be teaming up in ways they never have before, and the stakes are high for both of them. And then, of course, you know, there's the fandom part of my brain. I mean, I've been in various fandoms for a long time with fan fiction communities, even though I haven't been active in years. And I just, part of me is like, I want to ship these two. They should have sex and be lovers. And then I'm like... I, I, I don't I, I, I don't have time to write that even if I wanted to. Not that it would be, you know, canon, but I know that you allow people to poke at things anyway or play around in your sandbox, so to speak, as long as we don't, you know, 
claim that what we're saying is canon or that it's Chris Lester approved, but I have my own characters that I need to prod back into words. Well, prod back into being part of the written word. So I probably shouldn't be just kind of mucking around with Callie and Kate, but it would be fun. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing would make me happier than to see Metamore City taking off to the point that we have slash pairings and AU fanfic and all that good stuff. If anybody wants to write a story like that, be my guest. You can always share your fanfic on the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group, and some people already have. Anyway, the last thing is that I'm really nervous for Artax because just knowing him, he's going to just do things his own way, and that's just... I can see that getting him in trouble, but he's he's a force of good, or at least that's how I see him, and he's trying to do the right thing, and I just have a feeling that it's going to bite him in the ass, but we'll see. Anyway, thank you so much for continuing to provide us with fiction. I am looking forward to the return of Things Unseen after you are finished with the move. Best wishes with that, by the way, with the move, the settling in, the new job, all that jazz. I hope that y'all have a safe trip out there and stuff. Take care. Thanks, Sarah. We all got here safe and sound, and I'm happy to say that all the animals are adjusting even better than I could have dreamed. Even Tessa is happy, and she was stressed out for most of a year after we moved to Montana. Now, if only I could convince Dulcie that she doesn't have to be afraid of thunderstorms. If you'd like to give feedback about the show, send your thoughts in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900 then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, and on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. To converse with your fellow fans, join the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. That's all for this week. Come back next time for more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2013 and 2016 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.